and welcome to G220 Radio. This is episode number 527, and today we're going to be talking about the church, Catholic, and local. Hey, I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us here tonight. As you can see, I'm by myself. Um, Mike is taking the day off. It is his birthday, so make sure you wish Mike a happy birthday. But he is at the Together for the Gospel conference. We're going to hear all about that uh, maybe next week when Mike returns. We can ask him how it went, how the preachers, what their sermons were and, and whatnot. Um, but we're looking forward to that. I hope he's having a good time today, being his birthday, celebrating it with his family as well. So wish him a happy birthday when you get a chance to do that. Um, today, as I said, we're going to be talking about the church, uh, the church in the sense of Catholic and local. Now, why is this important. Well, this is vitally important. It's important to the life of a believer. Uh, there are some brothers that are doing um, videos on YouTube about church membership and about the local church. Uh, we did one a couple weeks ago on church discipline because these things are vital to the life of believers. As believers, we need to be plugged into, uh, connected to, a local church. And I would say not just fellowshipping with a local church and attending a local church, but being a member of a local church, because the Bible tells us that we have been given gifts in the body. We've been given gifts. And these gifts that we have been given are not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of those who we serve alongside in the local church. And so therefore, that being said, uh, we are to be members of a local church. Now, I understand some of the objections people will say, well, where is that in the Bible? Where does it say that one is to be a member of a local church? And they'll say, you know, can't we just gather together at Dunkin' Donuts and just like two or three people get together and, you know, where we are gathered together, he is there in the midst. Um, no, that's not the local church. That's not the ecclesia. That is brothers and sisters coming together and maybe doing a Bible study or talking about the things of the Lord and praise God for that. Praise God for those opportunities to get together with brothers and sisters like-minded and talk about the things of God, to sit down and do a Bible study with each other, to read, to pray, uh, to discuss theology. That's a wonderful thing. And I would never, ever discourage anyone from doing that. I think that's a wonderful thing. But we cannot. We cannot think that somehow that can be in the place of the gathering of the local church, because it can't. It just can't. And it's not, because this is not the way in which God has designed it. You see, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and the church is his body. And so when we look at this, and we look at it from the Catholic sense, and when I say Catholic, I am not referring to... Catholic meaning Roman Catholic, okay? Not referring to Roman Catholic. That is not what I'm speaking of. But Catholic, it, it's this term. It's 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 a universal church, but but there's there's an importance to the word Catholic because it has this, it draws out this long history of all of the brothers and sisters before us 
you go back and you think of Calvin and Luther and Zwingli. You think of Owens and, 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 and Cox, Nehemiah Cox. You think of these brothers that came before us. John Knox, all these brothers were part of one Catholic church. Even going back further than that, when you go to Augustine and you go to Justin Martyr, these are all connected to the church, to this Catholic church. Again, not Roman Catholic, so let's not confuse it. But they're connected. There's this long line, this long history. And we've done a show where, where we've talked about the church. And I, I don't know if it was a specific show, but I know we've, we've talked about it. And Mike really hit on the importance of using the word Catholic. I know a lot of people, when using creeds, I'm confessional. So when we use these creeds or these confessions and the Nicene Creed, Nicene, Nicene Creed, excuse me, and we, we talk about this one holy Catholic church, people get confused, they get scared, they want to run away and say, we shouldn't say Catholic because it will confuse people. But no, we need to edify and teach people that there is much history there. It's rich. This word is rich. Just because Roman Catholicism has hijacked it doesn't mean we get rid of it. And so there's much there to it, but it does mean universal. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that here a little bit tonight. Creative Studios, Studios is in the house. What's good, brother? Uh, glad to see you. And uh, so we're going to talk about this here. Let's let's define it. So when we talk about the church, we talk about the gathering, the the, the ones who are called out. This word is ecclesia, the, the ecclesia. And the definition of this, as we look at it, it means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. As we continue to unwrap this definition, uh, an assembly of the people convened at the public place of the council for the purpose of deliberating, or the assembly that we see in the Old Testament of the Israelites. You also have any gathering or throng of men assembled by chance. And in a Christian sense now, this word, this ecclesia, is an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. And don't let that word fool you either, because I hear some people that say, oh, we're, we're not religious, you know, Christianity is about a relationship. It is a religion. Um, and I think sometimes when people are trying to do right because of errors and things that they see of people being so religious in the sense that they try to put on people a burden or a yoke upon someone, um, people want to throw those things out, but you can't throw these things out because there's there's truth in there, there's meaning in there, and we just have to flush it out rather than disregard it. But it's a, an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting, a, a company of Christians or of those who, hoping for eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, observe their own religious rites, and they hold their own religious meetings. And so this is this assembly, the ecclesia. Also, we can be defined as those who in um, th this whole body, as, as we talked about Catholic in this universal sense, this assembly can mean the whole body scattered throughout the world. It can mean that. And it also can mean the assembly of the faithful Christians already dead, as I mentioned, and received into heaven. So in, in the broader sense. But it can mean, it can mean, and we see it in Scripture, used in this universal sense, in this big Catholic sense of, of throughout Asia Minor, as throughout um, uh, Israel, as these churches are being planted, as these churches are becoming churches where people are gathering together. And then we see it in a local, we see this 
all throughout, but then we also see it in a local sense in the scripture. And so we want to look at some of this because I think it's vitally important, vitally important. Let me take a drink. I'm talking a lot. And normally I have a guest, not a guest. We, we Sometimes we have a guest, but normally Mike's with me. And so we can break that up instead of just listening to me talk for an hour. But anyways, what I'm basing this off of is an, uh, an outline that I wrote. It's on G220 Ministries website. But I wrote this outline some years ago because of the same things that we see today. It's the same things. We, we see the same things. It just, everything goes through a cycle of repeat. It's repeat. It comes back up. It comes back up. And then you don't hear about it for a little while and it comes back up. There's nothing new under the sun. And so this argument that people have about gathering together or being a part of a local church, or where does it say that you need to be a part of a church in the Bible? This argument comes up over time and often. So as we look at it, so when we look at this Catholic church, this universal or the invisible church, so to speak, because within this invisible church, we see that there is this uh, universe, universality to it, okay? So you see in Matthew 16, 18, Christ says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Roman Catholicism wants to put this on Peter as Peter being the rock, but even when you look in Ephesians, and it talks about in chapter 2, that this foundation was built upon the apostles and prophets. Not just, it's not built upon Peter, it's built upon the apostles and the prophets, with Christ being the chief cornerstone. Okay, this church, this, this body, uh, this is being built up. And so this, this church is being built on Christ. Christ. He's going to build this church. He is the chief cornerstone of it. He is the head, and we are the body. In 1 Corinthians 10.32, it says, Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. And so we're seeing this in this universal sense here, okay? 1 Corinthians 12.28 says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So again, we're seeing appointed in the church. This is in a universal sense. This is in a, what we would say in the Catholic church. Um, again, not Roman Catholic. So when we go to Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, And he will put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Again, this is referring to Christ the fullness of him who fills all in all, Ephesians 3.10 and 21 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we go to Ephesians 5, it's just full of it. And you, and you see in Ephesians 5, 23 through 25, in verse 27, 29, and 32, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior, meaning Christ, the Savior of the church. He died for the church. It is 
the the one in which he has laid his life down for. These are the elect. This is the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is why I think we also need to be very, very careful in the way that we speak about the church. Okay, and I haven't always been here. I've, I've gone through these stages in my life, and as we all know, there's times where we we get in these considered cage stage, right? Uh, when you come to Calvinism, they call it cage stage Cal- Calvinism. Or when it was with evangelism, so many people want to get out and we start doing evangelism and you start thinking, why is there nobody else out here evangelizing? And so you get into these kind of cage stage um, places in your walk where you then start looking at other Christians, looking at others and saying, why do not they have the same desire? Why do they not seem to display the same type of uh, fruitfulness or or wanting to get out there and do these things. Now, again, we look from a small picture. We don't really know who's doing things. But in our eyes, when we're going through these, sometimes we can look and think that others aren't doing what we're doing. So therefore, why are these people not doing this? And in that, we can malign the church, the bride of Christ. We see it, we see it, and we say it all the time when we see scandals in the church, when we see things that are going awry in the culture, and we say, oh, the, the church is this, and the church has this problems and that problems. But listen to that again about Christ, who gave himself up for the church, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and treasures it or uh, cherishes it. And so see, we as Christians should love and cherish the church. And we should speak very highly of the church. Yes, there is a growing and God is working and perfecting his saints in the church through sanctification. He, he is doing that. He is working in us and through us and bringing us to conformity to his son. To be more and more in the likeness of Christ in the way that we walk out our faith. But we should be very careful in how we refer to, respond about things we see and the way we sometimes malign the church. And we should not do that. Um, it's one thing I, I would think and anybody can correct me if they think I'm wrong in this. It's fine. I'm, I'm okay with having correction. Just email us at g220radio at gmail.com or comment in the comment sections. But we, it's, it's okay to call out areas of sin. It's okay to say, man, that professing church or that professing pastor has fallen off. But we, we got to be careful that we do not malign the bride of Christ. And think of this in a in a in a in a humanistically speaking way. 
I mean, and Christ has given us this here too. Is the the church is the bride of Christ? If if you claim to be my friend and you come and you start bad mouthing my wife to me, uh, you and I are going to have some problems. I'm not saying we're going to get in fisticuffs or anything like that, but you and I are going to have some problems. We're probably not going to be close. We're probably not going to be hanging out. I'm probably going to unfriend you and be like, man, dude, I, I'm I'm not I'm not going to let you malign my bride like that. I'm not going to let you speak ill of my wife like that. And I think we as Christians need to be very careful in how we do that ourselves when it comes to the bride of Christ, because we see these things going on in the American church or in other areas within the, 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 the world. And, and it's very easy to throw that out and say, oh, look at the churches, what the church is not doing with this. We got to be very careful. That's all I'm saying there. All right. So. Uh, Colossians 1, 18 and 24 says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, this is Paul saying, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Again, reaffirming. Uh, this importance of the church here. And this is universal sense. This is what we would say is Catholic, small c. Uh, this is the church that that brings all of us together, past, present, future, saints, those who are in Christ. And one of the great things to understand and, and be aware of is that there are no unbelievers in this universal, invisible church. Everyone who is a part of this universal church is a believer in Christ. Now, that's not going to be the case in the local church, but everyone who is a part of this Catholic, small c, universal church is a believer. It's a believer. And so 1 Timothy 3.15, our last scripture in, in talking about the universal Catholic uh, invisible church here is uh, 1 Timothy 3.15. And it says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Man, I mean, this is how God views his church. And so we need to be very careful to, um, again, not malign it. Let's see, we got some comments over here. Going to try to be interactive as best I can. Mike's not here with me tonight. So, uh, it might help me to uh, clear my throat while I'm looking over here. So bear with me. Larry says, yeah, it's important to be at a church body you want others to be a part of. Uh, you can love the church, puts it in quotation marks, but be prouder of your local church. It's important. Well, yeah, I, I mean... I think I understand what you're saying. You definitely, we are connected in the broader picture of the church. Uh, we have brothers and sisters that are connected in this universal, in this Catholic church, small c. You're going to have brothers and sisters who are going to be connected based upon the essentials. So the essentials, they're going to they're they're going to not be preaching or teaching things contrary to the triune God. Um, when it comes to the God, God's attributes, they're not going to be preaching and teaching things that are uh, damnable heresies when it comes to God. They're going to be a church that affirms that Jesus Christ is 
deity, that he is God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. They're not going to, they're not going to challenge or uh, preach something contrary to the deity of Christ. And they're going to preach the gospel. These are the three things that I say. Now, within these three things, there can be some things that kind of fit in there. But these things as a nutshell, as an overall view, when it comes to the doctrine of God, when it comes to the deity of Christ, and when it comes to the gospel, if these things are not present, then we are not brothers and sisters. We are not all part of the, the, the universal church. These things are vitally important. So you're going to have that. You're going to have where I'm a Baptist. I'm going to have brothers and sisters who may be uh, Presbyterians, who may be Lutherans, who may be even Methodists. And I say this because we see so much liberalism that is coming into the world and calling itself or claiming itself to be the church that is not, and that is different than where we see the, the, the members of the body who may not do everything exactly like one would like or think, um, and we got to be, that's where I'm saying we need to be careful. But if, if people are in agreement with these essentials and you have these Presbyterians, you have these Methodists or you have these Baptists and you have even some of these Pentecostals who we would disagree with things when it comes to the gifts uh, and maybe some of the practice. But at the same time, if they're holding on to these essentials, we could say universally, Catholic, we're all part of this church. Uh, Larry says, right doctrinally, but also good fit for the common interest, which makes good for fellowship. Well, again, it's hard sometimes to discern what is exactly being said in, in comments, um, but also a good fit for the common interest, which makes for good. I'm not exactly sure what you're saying there, Larry. Uh, maybe you can clarify. Um, but within that, within the church, as we get into the local church, you're going to see that there, there's going to be things that brothers and sisters will disagree with. Brothers and sisters will be um, not disagree with in the sense of argumentation or something like that, but there's, there's going to be people who enjoy going to sporting events and people who enjoy not going to sporting events. And yet, and I'm using this as an example, and yet those people are going to get along just fine. You know what I mean? Because they're connected in Christ. So, all right, let's see here. So then now that we move into the local church, uh, the local church is normally defined as a local assembly of all who profess faith and allegiance to Christ. So, the universal church, as I said, this, this Catholic church, small c, you're going to have everyone that is in the Catholic church, small c, universal, invisible church, is a believer. Now, within the local church, you're going to have unbelievers that are apart. They're going to have people that come in that are not genuine followers of Christ. Um, some that may seem to be for some time. You, you think of the... Uh, he says, things in common with one another, similar age, range, et cetera. Anyway, great lesson tonight. Okay. We can talk about it maybe later, um, just so I can make sure I'm not, I don't want to misrepresent you, brother. Um, I think I know what you're saying, but I, I don't want to misrepresent you. It's hard to see it in so many characters of what someone may be um, trying to explain. So um, the local church here. Now, when we look at this and we look at it from a, a scriptural stance, we, we look at Matthew 18, 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we did a show on church discipline, so I'm not going to get into that. But this is in the context of church discipline, which happens and takes place within the local church. Um, and so this is where we're seeing again now this 
this church that's universal and extends into all the world is also brought down into these local fellowships, these local gatherings where people come together and they fellowship with one another and they serve one another and they encourage one another and they edify one another and they build up one another and they rebuke one another and they correct one another and, and they do these things in love for one another. Long-suffering within the church, patience within the church, growth within the church, uh, and, and growing to the point of when, when the scriptures tell us that confess your sins one to another in James, and you think about this, oftentimes Christians don't want to be, what's the word? They don't want to be so transparent. They don't want to put it out there that these are things they're struggling with. This is an area of sin that they're they're struggling to, to overcome. Or this is an area that they're struggling in their marriage, or they're they're struggling with raising their children and how they they're they're dealing with them at times, especially when you have teenagers. And and there's things that people don't want to be so transparent about. But honestly, this is what God tells us in James that you confess these things one to another because in that body you're vulnerable. You grow through that. Like we shouldn't have to go to church and put on a facade to put on a, a, a fake image of who we want people to think we are. No, we should be able to be vulnerable within that body so that those brothers and sisters can lovingly build you up in Christ, speak truth into your life, correct you when it is needed, but in love for the building up and the edification of one another. And so this is why, again, this is why the local church is so vitally, vitally important. Acts 5.11 says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, again, you're talking about Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, they lie to the Holy Spirit. They die. And great fear came upon the whole church. Now, it's, again, this can be, in a universal sense, the whole church, but also this church here in Jerusalem who's seeing these things take place. All right. So Acts 8, 1, and 3, And Saul approved of his execution, speaking when it comes to Stephen, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Again, local, local. Uh, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. All right, so again, we see this, these local church we see that these are actually not just this invisible. These are places that are gathering together in Jerusalem and Paul's going in and he's pulling these people out from house to house and throwing them in prison. Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and it multiplied. So the church, and you've got the church universally again, but yet in this throughout all of Judea, you have people in the church. You have a church in Galilee and Samaria. They're gathering together. You have this local church. 
And then we see in Acts 14, 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church. See, this is, again, when we think of God giving these gifts to the church, these apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and elders to for the, for the edification of the church, for the building up of the body, it says here that in Acts 14, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church. So again, we're seeing this, this idea that, yes, there is this universal church, because this is what people will use. This is an argumentation that they'll say is that, you know, the church is just, it's all believers. We are the body. We don't need to gather in a building. It's funny because think about this, this argumentation here. We don't need to gather in a building. We can get together and be the church. Like we can meet at Dunkin' Donuts. That's a building, right? But the, the reality is, and we'll get to it, is the church has structure. The church has order. And just gathering together in those meetings, places like going to Dunkin' Donuts for some coffee, meeting with a brother. While that, again, as I said, I would encourage that. I would encourage you to get together and talk about theology and talk about the things of God and pray for one another and, and speak and build each other up. But that's not the church. But it says here, they were appointing elders for them in every church. This is why you see that the, a church structure, and we'll, hopefully we'll get into some of this unless we run out of time. But the church structure is you're going to see elders within a church. You're going to see the office of deacons within a church. And depending on church government, on how the the, the ecclesiology is of the church, uh, it may look a little different, but ultimately it is the same in the sense that they have the same um, setup of certain structures, but it, it may look a little different um, when it comes to a Presbyterian versus a Baptist kind of church. Uh, your, your, your church ecclesiology may be a little different there. Uh, and set up a little differently, but um, they're still trying to adhere to the scriptures to the best of their their knowledge and understanding to do that. I think we got a spammer here. Just threw that in there. I have no idea what that is. We'll have to remove that later. Okay, so in every church they were appointing elders. Acts fifteen three through 4 and 41 says, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church uh, and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. And he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. See, you've got this plural here, the churches. So you see, they were sent by the church on their way, this local church. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the details of the conversion of these Gentiles, and it brought great joy to all the brothers. So they're going from church to church, and they're, they're, they're talking about this conversion of the Gentiles, and it's bringing joy to the brothers, and then they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, this local church there. They're all connected to the, to the one body, but we see these local churches, local churches. And it says this, then they went throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches along the way. They're strengthening the churches. So we're seeing these local churches. So that's because sometimes we wonder why is there a church over here and another church over here in this city and another church over here in this city? 
Well, again, so long as they're preaching those essentials, then they're a biblical church. If they're not preaching those essentials, then they're not a biblical church, so they don't fall into this category. Uh, Acts 15, 22. Uh, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church, the whole church. Now, this is, you're talking akin universally here. The whole church, it seemed good for them. Um, to choose men from um, uh, among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and they and they sent Judas called Barabbas or Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. All right, here, let me see. In Acts 16, 5, it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So these churches, as they're going through these areas, they're strengthening these churches. Acts 18, 22, when he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church there in Caesarea and then went down to Antioch. In Acts 20, 28, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Take care for, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Uh, Romans 16, 1, 4 through 5 and 16 says, I command to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at... I don't know what I put there. I think it's uh, Caesarea. Um, looks like a spelling error. Forgive me. Acts 16, 1. Um, Who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks to you as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epaphanatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches, plural, of Christ greet you. So again, we're seeing, you got these local churches. You're talking about these. There Now there's these different churches. Because again, the argument can be made that people trying to make is, oh, we're all just one part of one big body of church. We're all, we are individually the church. And that's not what we see. We see these local gathering assemblies that were the ecclesia coming together, assembling together in these local bodies. All right. I got a bunch more scriptures here, but let's kind of move on. Get down here. I got a lot of scriptures on the church. And you can go to www.g220ministries.com. Go to g220ministries.com. Oops, let me try to pull it up here. And I will tell you exactly where to go. If you go to www.g220ministries.com, click on the menu, go to media and hit teaching materials, and you will see Ecclesia, the universal and local church. It's just a PDF file that I put together some years ago. Some years ago. All right. And it could probably use some updating, but uh, I haven't done that. So I'm just kind of going with what we have here today. All right. So the means of grace. Now, again, as I said, when you come together within the body of the local church, there are things that should be present. There are things that need to be present within a body. This is why just two guys getting together at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or a local coffee house or meeting for breakfast and then talking about the scriptures is not the church. All right. There's, there's an order, there's a structure, there's, there's, it, it's not something that's just done without any kind of structure. God is not a God without order. 
Okay. And so these means of grace will be present in the local church. So Acts 2.42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So you're going to have in these the apostles' teaching. You're going to have doctrine being taught in the church. Uh, the, the breaking down, the exegesis of the scriptures. Uh, you're going to have that in a local church. Or you should have that within the local church. You're going to have the fellowship uh, with one another. You're going to have the breaking of the bread, the communion. And you're going to also have prayers being present in the local church. You're also going to have the reading of scripture within uh, the local the local church. Now, roles within the church. When we get into the, the roles that are laid out for us in the church, I did a, a video over on G220 Ministries uh, the other day talking about um, giving a defense of the faith, the faith, not the face. I mean, you could defend your face, but I mean, giving a defense of the faith uh, the uh, apologia, the the defense, as it says, that we are to be always ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. But there's no office of apologist. But what are the roles within the local church? And so you see, now we all need to be able to defend the faith and, and that hope. And it will be, as I've said in that video, you're going to have some people that are at different maturity levels, some people that are different knowledge levels. Doesn't mean, excuse me, doesn't mean that if somebody's at a knowledge level up here and somebody's a brand new believer, that this person's like closer to God than this person. No, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're, we're, there's not one person who has uh, earning and, and gaining to be closer with, with Christ than this brand new believer, right? We're all equal in that sense. Now, but God does uh, give gifts to the church, and it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is why doctrine is so important. It's important. Don't don't let anybody tell you that well, we don't need to argue about that. We don't need to discuss this. We that doesn't matter. Doctrine matters because as it says, when he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. How do you know what the ministry is? How do you know what theology is and what you should be teaching people and telling people and sharing with people if you're not equipped? And it's for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, which shows that there should be this growing to attain this knowledge and have this unity of the faith to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Somebody comes in and they tell you this, and then the next week somebody over here comes and tells you this, and you're like, ah, I'm back here and back there and back there. No, it's to build you up in the faith and to the understanding of knowledge, having that. So we have here apostles. This is one of the gifts in which God has given to the church, the apostles. And you have the 12. Uh, in Mark 3, 16 through 19, he says he appointed the 12, Simon, 
to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brothers of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. I'm sorry. means sons of thunder. Somebody can correct me on how to say that. Uh, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So you have these 12. It also tells us this in Luke 6, 13 through 16 and Matthew 10, uh, 2 through 3. And so you have these 12. You've got Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who, again, betrayed Christ. Okay, let me see here. Then when Judas, who is this betrayer, he uh, betrays Christ for 30 pieces of silver, and he takes his life. and um, so the apostles, these 12 or the 11 that are remaining, they come together and they say in Acts 1, 21 and 26. So the, so the one, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. So this, it had to be someone who was with them from the baptism of John. When, when Christ is, is been baptized by John and someone who has been witness to all of this up to this point. And so they come and they have Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and they had Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship, for which from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered among the eleven apostles. So now you have a Matthias here, and uh, and I and there's some I've seen. I don't know where you stand on this. You can let me know in the comments or send us an email, g20radio at gmail.com. I'd love to to know where you stand on this. I've seen some people recently, um, or not r real recently, but over the last uh, year, within this year, um, or even in the end of last year, talking about this debate between is Matthias one of the actual 12 or is it Paul? And um, I don't know where you land on that. I kind of land where I do believe Matthias is one of the 12. I mean, in Acts 6 here, it says 6-2 after they have already brought Matthias as one of them. Um, this is before Paul comes into the fold. Uh, it says Acts 6-2 and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So he's the 12, you know, you've got them numbered there. Uh, and these were 11. Now with Matthias, they're 12. And so here you're seeing that. So I do believe that's um, speaking with Matthias as part of the 12. And then you have Paul who comes as the apostle to the Gentiles. All right. And it says in Acts 9, 15 and 16, it says, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he has he has a for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him much how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Paul then is this apostle now to the Gentiles. Um, we see Paul makes this very clear. He tells us in Romans one one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. 
1 Corinthians 1, 1, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brothers, Sosthenes. And I'm struggling tonight. Sosthenes. Sosthenes. Somebody can correct me. <laughs> I'm okay with names. Uh, I'm not okay with names. Uh, you can correct me. Galatians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man but through jesus christ and god the father who raised him from the dead galatians 2 8 for he who worked through peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the gentiles first corinthians 9 1 through 2 i am not free or am i not free am i not an apostle have i not seen our lord jesus christ or jesus our lord are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And he's writing to the Corinthian church there. So then we have this other office of prophets. Prophets. It says, one who announces or pours forth the declaration of God. This is what it means when we speak about prophets. There are many prophets in the Bible mentioned in the Old Testament and some as well in the New Testament. Uh, here's just a few of them. Okay, you got Abraham, Daniel, David, Elisha, Elisha, uh, Ezekiel, Moses, John the Baptist, Agabus, and Jesus, who is our prophet, priest, and king. Um, so then you also have this office of evangelists that's been given to the church, prophets and apostles. And you have evangelists, which is a, a bringer of good news. We would maybe consider one to be an, a missionary today. I, I'm not sure uh, where some people would land with this. I know some people believe that evangelist is no longer in office that we have today, like apostle and prophets. Um, I'm not sure where you land on that. I'd love to hear from you where you think that that sits, if there are evangelists today. Um, but again, a bringer of good news, a missionary, one who's bearing the a good tidings. And so in scripture, we have this example with Philip in Acts 8, 4 through 5. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. It says in Acts 8, 40, But Philip found himself in Azostus, and, he, as, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Acts 21.8, on the day, on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. And then within the church, you have shepherds and teachers. These are elders. And I know some people may want to separate these two and say you got these elders and then you have teachers. Um, but for the sake of this, I'm going to say, this is where I'm saying, teachers, shepherds, elders, shepherds should be able to teach. Uh, and so I'm saying, here's your elders. Um, first Timothy three. And again, if you disagree, you can just email me, send a message in the chat. Uh, be more than willing to talk with you about it. Um, so first Timothy three, one through seven, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church, for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, 
he must be well thought of by outsiders. That's important. That's one that I think we, we overlook often. So that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. In Titus 1, 6 through 9, again, we're Titus and Timothy, these um, qualifications. It says, if anyone is a, above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Doctrine so vitally important, is it not? And also to rebuke those who contradict it, who contradict sound doctrine. And when you rebuke, rebuke in love. Sometimes sharp rebuke is needed, but still need to do it in love. Acts 6, 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this is what you see elders um, the qualifications and what they are devoting themselves to in the body. All right, man, let's see. We are almost out of time. So next we have deacons, deacons, right? Deacons and deacons is a servant. Um, sometimes I think growing up in Baptist churches, the, the Baptist churches I grew up in, they were independent fundamentalists, Good brothers and sisters, love these brothers and sisters. But the structure in their model, like I said, different churches are going to sometimes have different ecclesiology, different structure in how they 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 do their their ecclesiology. So you're going to have congregational worship in these Baptist churches. Now, in these congregational setup of, of ecclesiology, um, in some of them, and I know growing up in these IFB churches, you usually have one pastor who is the the head shepherd of the church. And then you don't have other pastors, or there may be in some of these places, you may see a youth pastor or an associate pastor uh, in these, these kind of churches, but there's usually this one pastor who's the head. And then you have deacons who act as elders, other elders. They make decisions. They have deacon boards and they, they decide where the money goes and um, what's going to you know happen within the church. They're making these decisions. But the, the actual office of deacon is one who serves. It's a servant. Uh, and um, I think sometimes people are well-intentioned in, in doing the, the church government that way. But I think what we see as deacons, not that they can't teach or do other things within the church if they are qualified to do so, but their, their, their title is one who is serving the body. Like here in um, Acts 6, 1 through 3, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They were devoting themselves to the to the reading of scripture, to the to the preaching of it, and they said we shouldn't be be giving up the this preaching of God's word to go and serve tables. It's just too much for an elder to do. 
There's just too many things. Not that they don't serve. I know many elders who serve their, their people, but they, God has given in his word, this office of deacons so that these deacons then within the church can serve and, and tend to those needs of the body so that the elders can focus upon the studying and the prayer and the care of the people, um, shepherding them by the word, by the preaching. And so this is what we see with deacons here. And so 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13 is going to give us qualifications then for deacons. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as a deacon or as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to say something that's controversial. And again, if you disagree with me, uh, you can email me, g220radio at gmail.com. It is right bing there. I think it's right there. That's pointing. I'm pointing at it. g220radio at gmail.com. Bing right there. You can email me there and or you can comment in the comment section. When you look at the qualifications for elders and you look at the qualifications for deacons here. Now, I know, I know some people are going to say when it comes to deacons, oh, we have deaconesses. I don't see that in the qualifications. Now, the word may be used, and I think in the context of the places where it is used, I don't believe it's referring to these women being called to a deacon position to serve. I think they were serving, and I think everyone is serving to a degree in the church. But in this, this office of elders and deacons, you don't see the qualifications being for a woman. And if you say, well, deacons, it doesn't apply for deacons, the same as it applies for um, elders, I think you have a problem because the qualifications are very, very similar. Very similar. So when it goes on and says, let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, it's the same as with elders. And I think you, you, you kind of struggle then to say, how can a woman be the husband of one wife? Just doesn't meet the, uh, meet the qualifications. So again, you can email me right there, g220radio at gmail.com if you disagree. And we, we could talk about it. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not looking to argue with you. But if you have a disagreement, that's fine. Um, I welcome it and I'm willing to discuss it. All right. So laity and members. This is what also we see within the local church. And so the Bible tells us to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. So Matthew 22, uh, 36 through 40 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is the first commandment, and the second is like it. On these two depend the whole law. So we are to, the, the laity, this is what our responsibilities are, is to love the Lord and love our neighbor. Um, and then we are not to forsake being part of a local church. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, this is not a suggestion. This is implied as a command. 
And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting, not neglecting to meet together, not neglecting, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So let us consider how to stir one up another to love and good works. If you're just being edified by me, and I hope you are when you listen to G220 Radio or G220 Ministries YouTube channel, when you are hearing me online teach something or speak about something from a biblical perspective. I hope it's edifying. I hope it's encouraging. I hope it, it, it helps you to grow, but you don't know me and I don't personally know you. So how can I know the areas where I can stir you up to loving good works, right? I can speak about these things, but I don't know you enough. You don't know me enough. And so it's coming together, being a part of that local church so that we can exercise those gifts and love one another and encourage one another uh, because the day is drawing near. So again, the laity, the members, uh, they love the Lord God. They're to, to love their neighbor as herself, not to forsake the gathering together as part of the local church and to submit to your elders. This is so hard for people to do. And, and I get it. I get it. There are some bad elders there's some bad churches out there but that's not the that's not that should never cause us to use it as an excuse to submit sometimes you got to bear with one another long suffering now there may be a time where you have to if it, if it's an abusive or authoritarian kind of rule then there may be a time where that may be necessary to find another church or speak up um in some of those cases, those because if it's congregational and if you've got an abusive leader, then the congregation can remove them because they can take those votes. They have that uh, ability to come together as the church, just as you would in, in the process of church discipline to do so. So anyways, but that being said, submit to your elders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's no advantage to you if you don't submit to them, but it is to your advantage when you do, okay? When you obey your leaders and you submit to them. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So now we see here that there's elders that preach and teach, and there's elders that don't preach and teach. Because when you're looking here at 1 Timothy 5.17, and it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Just something to consider, think about. Be a witness for Christ. This is what we as laity are called to do within the body. Be a witness for Christ. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And if you're watching this, I don't know why you would be watching this as we're talking about the church, um, but if you've been listening and you are bearing with me as I go through scriptures um, and you are not reconciled to God, be reconciled to God through Christ who died, was buried and rose again. We just celebrated Easter. When up from the grave, he arose love that hymn, right? He arose. He arose from the dead, defeating sin and death. Be reconciled to God through Christ, who died for sinners. Uh-oh, Joe Gordon's watching me. How we doing, Joe? Love you, brother. All right. So, also, the responsibility for those within the church, the laity, is rightly handling the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of truth. Now, we can definitely apply this to Timothy, who we would say is an elder, is a pastor of a church, a shepherd of a church. Yes, but I do believe as Christians, we all need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to be able to discern truth from error and sometimes truth from half-truths need to be able to do that so we need to be in the word to do that so we need to be able to rightly handle the word of god so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes uh in our in our path and we are called in this local body as those who are laity to restore a brother guard yourself bear one another's burdens galatians 6 1 through 2 brothers if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch of yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we should stand up against injustice. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Biblical justice, that is, biblical justice. Um, submit to the governing authorities so long as they are not causing you to sin. Again, Romans 13 is going to get into that. Titus 3 is going to get into this. And um, these are vitally important. Let me just read uh, Titus 3, 1 through 2. It says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people, all people. Now, this is vitally important. Now, so you say, okay, well, why then do we need to be a member? Well, it's it's completely, it's it's right there. It's implied in the scripture. Now, did they have like a membership role in the first century? I doubt it. But they knew who was in the the body. They knew who the the shepherds, the the ones who have been appointed as these elders, as these these shepherds, these under shepherds over these flocks. They knew who it was that they were caring for. 
even within church discipline, when you come to this and you look at what the Bible lays out for church discipline, you you have a people that have submitted, that have committed as well to this body, this local body. If you're not a member, you can easily just, eh, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm just going to bounce around from this church to that church and this church and this church and, and whatnot. And again, I get it. Sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes there is abuses. Sometimes there are reasons that one needs to move. But it says, it says a lot about an individual's character who does not or will not submit to being committed to a body, a local church, and moves for every, every little thing. That, that It says a lot about a person's character in that, because we should be willing to bear with one another. Now, again, I, I understand, as somebody from my own experiences, I understand there are some times where that is impossible. That's impossible to do, because people are butting heads, or there's issues with uh, theology, or doctrine, or um, a person's conduct or character that is in leadership, or... Uh, Within the church, there's there's issues that can cause you to um, not be able to worship. And so when those things happen, unfortunately, there may be a reason that you have to leave. But that should not be the extent of your life where that's always the case. And so it's vitally important. While there may not have been a membership role, it is completely implied in the scripture that those who came and submitted to these local churches were considered to be a part of that local fellowship. They knew who they were. They knew the names of it. And it's vitally important. Now, today you're going to have local churches all over the place. And so with that being said, I mean, it's important to gather and be a part of a local church, to love those people and long suffering with those people. You're going to butt heads with people. You're not always going to get along with people. That also is going to build you up in Christ. To grow in grace, patience with one another, love for one another, encouraging one another. And that is something that we as Christians should be looking to. So my heart's desire is for anyone who has taken the time to listen to this program tonight, um, my heart for you is that you get connected. If, if you are not a believer, come to Christ and be a part of the universal church. This Catholic small C church where we're connected throughout past, present, and future. And then get involved in a local church, whether it's Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, so long as they are grounded in the essentials. The essentials, my friends, in the essentials. Um, we can disagree over secondary issues. We can disagree over end times. We can disagree over the gifts um, so far as they're not being abused, right? We can disagree over these things. But what we cannot disagree over is the essentials. And so if there are brothers and sisters who believe in speaking in tongues, they believe in the sign gifts, but they're not abusing those things and doing things that are contrary to the scriptures, um, like some of these prosperity preachers and stuff on TV, then we can disagree on those secondary issues and say, you're a brother and sister in Christ. You, you affirm the essentials. I love you. And we can, we can, 
I could pray for you and you could pray for me. We're probably not going to worship in the same church, but at the same time, it's a brother. And they're probably not going to come to my Baptist church where we don't do those things. But they can say, hopefully, that likewise, we may not agree on these, this secondary issue, but you're a brother. And in love, we can bear with one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins that you'll find within the body. And love also covers the, gives us the ability and as, as grace as well to disagree with brothers and sisters in love. And that's how we, well, that's what we should be doing. But we are all given gifts to be used within the body, within the body of Christ. So all of this that I gave you tonight, like I said, is on my website, g220ministries at gmail. Or not gmail, g220ministriesweb.site.com. You can go there, go to the media, and you'll find it there under the teachings. You can download it. It's a PDF file. I don't care if you take it. It's take it and re re redo it. Um, any parts where I messed up in there, you could fix it. But it's there. It's just a bunch of scriptures compiled to look at the church, universal, Catholic, and local. That's been G20 Radio for tonight. I hope you enjoyed the program. Um, and next week we'll be back. Next week we're going to have Steve Christie on the show tomorrow. I believe tomorrow he's debating a Roman Catholic, um, one of the guys from um, Catholic Answers. Um, I think it's Trent Horn. I think it's Trent Horn, I believe. He's debating him on Marian Dogma. And he's going to be on our show next week to talk about Marian Dogma. And so you're going to want to tune in next week here on G220 Radio. So God bless and see you next time.